Hey there, listeners. This is a message from the future of this podcast. I assume that most people who are listening to episode one of season one are people who just discovered my show and scrolled all the way to the beginning to listen to the first episode. That's definitely what I do when I discover a new show. So since I don't have an intro episode, I wanted to take a second to say welcome to Mental Health Much. I'm excited to get to spend a lot of time in audio format with you in the future. Also, when I listen back to the first few episodes of season one, I find that my editing skills at the time were a little bit rough. So be gentle when you listen or just skip ahead and come back to the first few episodes once you're thoroughly in love with the podcast. Okay, that's all I have to say. I'm going back to the future and letting you enjoy the past. I hope you'll enjoy the show as much as I do. Happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mental Health Much. My name is Vincent, and I'm a French-Canadian psychotherapist living in Toronto. As a therapist, I'm fascinated by anything that has to do with mental health. So on this podcast, I invite friends and colleagues over to talk about it. Being a gay man, I am obviously more interested in anything queer-related, as well as topics that are pro-feminist, pro-trans, and anti-racist. This week, I'm meeting with my friend Marina, to talk about redefining your relationships with your parents as an adult. Hi, Marina. Hello, Vincent. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast. Uh, Marina, we are kind of like newer friends. Uh, we got stuck, for better or for worse, in the same COVID bubble last summer when we were still allowed to see 10 people. And then the rest mm -hmm. is history. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but I'm really happy now to have you in my life. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So, Marina, tell us more about who you are for our listeners who didn't get the chance to be in your COVID bubble. Okay, so uh, so my name is Marina. I'm uh, Brazilian. I came here seven years ago, and I'm, uh, I don't know if I can say that I'm a newcomer. My mentor, she would say that I'm. this is my first year of acculturization, She usually says that it takes between six years to 15 years to be completely, I don't know the word, like have your completely acculturization ready. And uh, I define myself with someone that is activist, gay. I'm so many things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. You're saying your mentor said that you're a newcomer for six years in a place. And then from six years to 15, you're kind of in a in an in-between, like a gray yeah. zone. It's very funny. Actually, her husband, he's been in Canada for seven years. And then like uh, she was saying that uh, he's still complaining about some things. And then she's a very funny person. Leslie, I love you. <laughs> many, many kisses. She's like really, uh, she made a completely difference in my life. But yeah, so it's a very interesting information that uh, some sometimes you think that you're ready and you were here a year or two, but it really takes longer than that to actually feel part of this culture, understand the Canadian culture. I'm still discovering, but it would be my first year as like a more, a discovery my Canadian self in a more clear way. I mean, I've been in Ontario for seven years myself, so I guess I'm right there with you on that journey of yeah, not being a newcomer. 
Although I didn't have to fight for my citizenship. So that's a huge privilege that I got. <laughs> Marina, I asked this question to everyone. What is your relationship with mental health? Oh, yeah. So my relationship with mental health was always a little blurry. I would say that the thing started to change last four years when I discovered myself in a place that I wasn't used to it. I was very, very depressed. And then for a long time, I thought that I was just sad and like life needs to move on because I never expected someone like me. And I'm not putting myself in a different position of anyone, but just like this is, wasn't something that would be... I think we're going to hear this a lot on this podcast. People saying, oh, I thought having to take care of mental health or depression was for someone else and not for me. I always believed in it, but it really felt like it was something that would not happen in my life. Yeah, it's like I can speak for myself that when you see people around you having some issues or even speaking openly about it, you don't realize how intense it could be if you don't prioritize this in your life. It took me a long time, I would say like 31 years, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And I, I have you now, so I can ask you more things also. <laughs> <laughs> and Marina, you chose the topic of redefining your relationship with your parents as an adult, and even more so as a queer adult. And I am so happy you picked this topic. There is so much to say in there. But before I talk, I want to hear about you. What made you pick this topic? Okay, so yeah, I think it's specifically talking about like uh, my relationship with my parents and like family in general. It's being a new topic. That's why I pick it because I'm just discovering things around my parents and myself just right now. It's so fresh for me that I was like, whoa, this is good. After 37 years, I face issues with my parents that I never allowed myself to do in the past. Right. It's really interesting because I saw a meme this morning. I was just looking in my phone to see if I save it, but I don't know if I did. Uh, but I will try to find it again and post it on my Instagram, but it was saying something in the realms of when you're an adult, you realize that when you were kids, your parents were still in the process of growing up. And I just felt like it was a sign that I saw across this <laughs> yeah, no. uh, the morning that I knew I would record with you. So I really want to find it back. It's just so funny because like, I, I always thought that my parents, you're just my parents. I never realized that they are just like normal people trying to discover themselves and uh, trying to do their best. Definitely. Without further ado, I think we should take a short break and then we will be right back to finally talk about this really interesting topic. We are talking about redefining your relationship with your parents as a queer adult. I think, Marina, in order to start us somewhere, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your own relationship with your parents? Yeah, sure. So as I said before, I'm from Brazil, and then I come from a 
fourth generation indigenous mom and a white father, uh, which is the most common mixes in Brazil, I would say. And um, uh, my mom was someone who she couldn't finish high school. My dad was someone who was like uh, pretty much the same level of instruction. They're both uh, very, very charismatic, very love-loving parents. My mom was someone who was working as a maid for 20 years. Uh, she had a relationship with my father. She, he was the first uh, boyfriend she had. And they got married right after when my mom discovered that she was pregnant. And that was you? And that was me. <laughs> and uh, my dad always had this very uh, macho uh, Latino thing. And then he was a very... Um, because he passed away two years ago, it, it, it seems weird when people died and then you have to say bad things about that. <laughs> but uh, he was he was a, he was a good man, but he wasn't a very good uh, husband. So it had a huge effect in my relationship with my mom. They're a very young couple. If this mm-hmm. newborn t- trying to do their best, I think so. I like to believe that. <laughs> and um, yeah. Everything started from there. And you said you lost your dad two years ago, so I'm I'm sorry about that. It must have been quite the experience to, while trying to understand who your parents are as adults, but also losing your parents while you're so far away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was one of the most traumatic experiences I had because my dad he had he had a, a situation we didn't know that he would die. We just discovered three months before. He had a pancreatic cancer, and I couldn't go. I went to see him six months before, but by the time that he passed away, I wasn't able to go see him because I was waiting for my permanent residence in Canada. The fact that I wasn't with my mom and I couldn't be with her and my brother was the most traumatic thing for me. Yeah, and all of this you have to take into account. So not only are you redefining your relationship with your mother, but who is still there, but you're also trying to make sense of your relationship with your father who is no longer there. Yeah, we'll never be able to have the conversations that we was expecting to have, you know. Even about my sexuality, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to my dad because he wasn't open to faith. He just made the decision to live with that without asking me. On the other hand, my mom was very open since the beginning, and we had a great relationship. But for sure, my come out process wasn't wasn't a thing. So when I decided to start a podcast on like mental health and everything queer, I thought like let's stay away from all the cliches. And then the first uh, episode that I record is on redefining your relationship with your parents. So we have to talk about coming out, which is kind of a bit of a cliche, but. It is part of the process. <laughs> totally. Yes. Some people could be very traumatic. I have so many examples. It would be a very traumatic thing. But for me, it was fine. <laughs> for me, it was like, okay, great. So you don't have to do it with men. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, we were talking <laughs> offline uh, how, especially for your mom, she was almost kind of happy because situation for women is not always easy. And she was like, great. Now we don't have to be as worried about men. You were saying... There were a lot of problems in my family and coming out was really not one of them, which I thought is kind of hilarious. I think my 
mom was like celebrating. I know that I have like, this is a, such a huge privilege. <laughs> like my mom was just so happy. I was like, why are you so happy? When I told her, I was like facing my first breakup and then I was like, I'm so sad. And she was like, oh my God, you're like, girl, so let's celebrate. That's hilarious. <laughs> so one thing about a relationship with parents as an adult is that parents don't necessarily see us the way we really are, and especially once there is distance. And that's a very common thing for queer people to uh, grow up and then leave the house and then go far away and not have necessarily like extremely, at least physically or emotionally close relationship with our parents. So they keep imagining us as we were, as they thought we were, not really as we were, but as the image that they had of us as teenagers. For me, the fact that I'm so far away from my mom and uh, I had this huge transformation in my life when I came to Canada, the red flag came out and then I was like, oh, every time that we had conversations or even when I discovered myself that I was like, I'm absolutely depressed. I don't want to go out. I'm having panic attacks all the time. And then I was talking to my mom and she was like, oh, yeah, but uh, no, I don't think you've been anxious. Yeah, you've always been this a very anxious person, but you were fine. You were strong because this is the way I know you. This is because you were my daughter and I know who you are. I think that moment was the moment that I faced like, oh, I don't think she's seen that. Or am I crazy? Like. Am I being dramatic about my situation? Because my mom told me, this is not who you are. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, you might be right. I might, I'm just a little dramatic. And things just kept going on and on and on and on for over a year. And then until I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to see, you know, people talk a lot about therapists. I think I'm going to see these people. Maybe they can help me. <laughs> it's hard because having this relationship uh, and you it's with your mom but I'm pretty sure many people can relate to that when you're suffering for something that's not always very concrete like mental health is not always like if I cut my leg it's very clear that I need medical attention but you know mental health is not always as concrete especially for others and you try to convince someone that you're suffering and like you're not at the moment when you have the most energy and the most self-agency because you are suffering from depression and you have to convince your mom that you are suffering and like no the kid I know the person I know would never suffer from depression it's so tiring because for me like some of my friends I think Magu he was someone who had access to this before And then he told me that some things that he had experienced before was very close. He was actually someone that I related a lot. It was like, oh, yeah, I went through this and things like that. And I was like, okay, so I'm not alone here, right? Mm -hmm. I had one partner, and then she was someone who also helped me a lot to be more open about that and not feel ashamed because I think I always felt ashamed. It still, it still feel like even like my partner today. Sometimes I face things with a lot of anxiety, and I can feel in my body. So I'm open up with my partner, and I say, "Oh, I'm feeling this way," and she kind of like look at me. She was like, "Oh, I can see your hands tight, like your muscles." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I can't speak openly about it." But for a long time, it wasn't like that. And it's especially even bring back to our, our 
our topic with my my mom, I described some things that happened to me and not even for one minute. She said, oh, oh, this is real or no. She was like, okay, I'm going to pray for you. In my mind, I was like, actually have suicide thoughts. And uh, this is how deep it is for me. Mm-hmm. And I need help. Yeah. But I was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't open. I couldn't tell her. I never did. And I don't think I will. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you're suffering, you want to grab support and continue to have a relationship with your parents and be honest about it. But you don't want to burden them. You don't want to put that on their shoulder. And I'm pretty sure there's probably something around, um, you know, not wanting to let down our parents. You know, they invested so much time in us. And it's such a common thing for queer people to look for approval from everyone, but maybe also especially for our parents. And so letting them down and talking about suicidal thoughts with a parent is very challenging. I think sometimes I I have to give my mom more credit. Like I'm discovering this relation, rediscovering this relationship with my mom right now. And even when I, when I tell her some things that I'm going through, she says, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you used to cut it yourself when you were like four years old. And I was like, oh, funny, like how many kids around me used to cut themselves or four years old and you just thought this was normal? And then she was like, yeah, you're anxious. You're very anxious. Yeah. For me, if I see my kid cutting himself or, or like, I don't have, I don't have a kid, but I don't know. It's for me, it would be like such a like, was like, oh my God, what's going on? Right. I would take my kid to a doctor to see what's going on. But of course, my parents, they don't have the same access to things that I have today. And talk about a couple in Brazil in the 80s or, you know, like my mom, as I said, she's not someone who had the opportunity to go to school. She had to put food on my table and then make me uh, healthy. And uh, this is what she could do it with a lot of love. But uh, I think uh, I have a kid. It's it's a very complicated thing. I acknowledge that. And uh, I'm not, I don't, it's not about blame anyone. Yeah even though I know I blame my father for our big issues because he was someone who brought the alcohol to our house. He was someone who hurt my mom deeply uh, because he always had other uh, women around and uh, this impact was very strong and uh, profoundly like horrible in, our, in my, my experience as a teenager, as a woman. But I think she had she had this I don't know how can I say when you were very emotionally dependent of this person. So it was a very codependent relationship between codependent relationship between them. Yeah, and uh, she never had her uh, father around. I think he left my grandma very early, and then she always had this speech that oh, but your father is here. He's here, and I was like oh yeah, he's here like just destroying our lives but as adults i'm feeling more comfortable to acknowledge that my parents they made me a little soldier and uh, i'm just discovering now that i'm not and like i would like to feel vulnerable also i would like to just like be able to not be the person who's gonna fix the whole problems all the time and be super strong because it's so tiring 
and like pretend that it's perfect all the time. It's a very tiring job for myself. Are you saying, because that's very common to, um, are you saying that your parents kind of raised you to fix the problems in their relationship also? I think they don't understand the fact that I was just a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, with this relationship that was very intense, with a lot of fights inside the house, I don't think they ever thought, oh, let's preserve this kid or let's don't fight in front of this kid. And my mom was always like, oh, you're strong. This is my daughter. This is, look how stronger you are. But it was something very like, uh, uh, we have to act this way. You have to be perfect. You have to behave yourself well. And I, even when they're like older and then I was like 20 years old, they fight and then talk to your father, talk to your mom. Yeah, I think parents do that. And I'm not the oldest kid, so I cannot speak to that. But I think parents tend to, it's often the oldest kids who becomes like the savior of the relationship. Yes, it's, it's just, it's just such a hard, it's a huge responsibility they put on your shoulders. And I don't think anyone deserves that. When my brother came around, I was 15. And then I had to be his second mom. And then I I couldn't realize what was it that I was like, I want to protect him from this. But I was just like, it was my instinct. I was like, every time that he started he start to fight, I was to take my brother and go out, go to a friend's house and hang out with my brother. Do you still have that feeling now as an adult that you need to save the day or to save everyone and be responsible for everyone? Did that stick with you? Pretty much. Yeah. Even with myself, pretty much. It's like, I can't let it go sometimes i get home i work i work at the restaurant i'm a manager i have like 15 people working with me and i have to make sure that everyone is safe it's happy even though this is not just my job but uh, being a saver being a keeper being someone who is ready is strong and healthy it's something that i can't let it go yeah. And sometimes I'm just exhausted. Yeah, there's this really nice piece of, um, I, I want to call it like psychopop. It's called the Cartman Triangle. And it has, like it's triangle, so it has three sides. And it, the most common one, I think, is what happened with you, where on each side of these triangle, you have the victim, which I think in your family was your mom. And then the persecutor, which in your family was your dad. And then the oldest kid as the savior which needs to save everyone and organize everyone. And those roles, especially when you're younger, if you're crystallized in that role, it gets really difficult to get out of it. And if you are a savior yourself or at home, uh, I know this is easier said than done, but one thing you need to start doing is understanding that you need to put your own needs first and not always use saving other people to procrastinate from looking at your own thing. For the savior, it gives the illusion that you're in control over things when you're saving <laughs> other people, right? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> oh my God, it's just like, it makes me emotional because in a in a general way, I can't see friends around, they, they're kind of like, they play the same role or they're absolutely, they, pay, they, they play the opposite role. They're like... It's not my job. And then I always have the tennis to judge those people. 
And then I was like, you're lazy. Why don't you, don't you have respect for your parents? Why don't you do that? Or like, I judge people. This is a journey of a lifetime to understand what is me putting boundaries that are respectful for me and what is just being narcissistic and being kind of like <laughs> an asshole about this stuff. Uh, but putting boundaries and thinking about yourself first, it's often viewed, especially for people like you who are saviors, it's often viewed as something negative. But no, placing boundaries and saying I need to take care of myself first is really important. Yeah, it's just like how how we do that because like this is this is they told me this is who I am. How how can I how I'm not gonna be this person anymore? I don't even know. Like I don't want to be alone thinking about that. I'm gonna cry. I don't know. It's gonna. <laughs> this is how I know life, but I don't know how to act in a different way because for me. It seems like I'm being irresponsible, feel that I'm being careless with people. What you said is so 100% real that when you're like, oh, you don't have, it's kind of like you don't have the boundaries, right? Sometimes I bring home other situations and even like I can't sleep well if I'm not 100% sure that my whole team has the same amount of hours. You know, it's not even my job to do the schedule. And sometimes I'm just exhausted. And to give you a, a little piece, um, how is it advice? I think it's something that I'm going to say a lot in this podcast is I think that the most important part of therapy is not to change. So you're asking, how do I change that? I think the most important part of therapy is not to change. It's the step before that. It's to catch. So to just start being aware when you're doing it. So you're not on autopilot doing it. And you're actually like, oh, I'm doing this right now. And once you start catching all the time, it becomes so much easier to check in with what's happening with yourself and then eventually make small changes that uh, might allow you to place boundaries and do things differently. But people always skip the catching and they always jump to the changing. And that's not setting up yourself up for success in therapy. Anyway, that is my humble opinion. Uh, I really appreciate it. And it's it's funny because another thing that is very common on my thoughts every day, it's kind of like, am I a fraud? Because if I don't act this way, my partner is not going to recognize me. Like my mom is, is not going to recognize my brother because also I'm the, 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 the older kid. So I have to take care of my, my brother and I have to make sure that he's going to do well. He's going to make the best decisions for himself and protect him in in even like uh, if i feel weak my partner is gonna look at me and say like oh such a fa failure she would never say that yeah i should never i know but it's like i just i want to be strong and then the, the, the and when i say i want to be this strong it's not that i'm not i actually i see myself as a very strong person and resilient the history has been proved that and like i'm very proud of myself and then i want to give my mom like oh my god like a lot of credit but i was just like yeah but i'm just not only this person also i have been strong with a lot of mental issues and i need help right now yeah sometimes being strong is not about doing everything by yourself, but it's about recognizing that you have limits and that you need to take care of yourself. So being strong is also about asking for help, putting boundaries, resting, and not taking care of everything. Yeah, I'm gonna, I will try. 
and now I know that it's just like I have I have the help I need as I said like Leslie's like she's my life coach but she works as like pretty much like my therapist I don't know if she would like me to call this because but anyway she this is the way I see her she's your support let's call her your support <laughs> yeah yeah and um I know that I have a direction I know that I can go there and talk and if I really feel better and feel like, oh, more comfortable. I can face the situations in a more clear way. I don't know. I'm about to go, uh, not about I, when everything comes back to like normal. I would go see my mom again. And uh, I sometimes I see things that I would like to talk to her. And I was just like, she's going to be ready for it. I'm not going to bring too much. What is going to change, right? She's 60 four right now and then I was like she's just been suffering so much she was the victim for sure as you said and then I was like also should I talk about that and why why I'm still looking for her approval why I'm still I know what it is I have help I can I can take care of myself I don't why I'm still bringing this to her life mm -hmm. Anyway, I I had this memory and I brought it to my mom. I said, Mom, do you remember that I had this pain, this chest pain when I was very young? And then she just said, no, mm -hmm. I don't remember. I remember in your head when you were an adult and then dad had to take you to the hospital. We saw was something on your stomach. And I was like, oh, you don't remember. It's so funny. It's hard sometimes trying to look at what happens when you're a kid. All you have to rely on are both yours and your parents' very imperfect memories and recollection of what happened. And even with, in, in your case, with having one parent that is now gone, you don't even have his opinion on what happened. You only have to rely on your own memories and try to make peace. Yeah, yeah. This is this this is the word. This is the thing. How to make peace. Yeah. Well, one small way to do that is often I'm saying like facts from when you were a kid are not necessarily the most important. What's the most important is what are the emotions that are still attached to those facts? Because the emotions, you're still living them today. Whereas the facts, there's no real way to go back and mm -hmm. see exactly what happens. Yeah. So before we take another break, one topic that we've talked quickly about, but that I find quite interesting, is discovering that your parents have their own issues. Because when you're a kid, you really don't realize that. It's fascinating to me that to think that at the age that I am today, my parents already had three kids and I'm the youngest, and I would have already been almost five years old. Like, I cannot like, imagine this. Oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy, yeah. And I think that's a thing for a lot of, not just queer people, but a lot of gay people. The process of having kids is a little bit harder, uh, more complicated. So we tend to have kids when we have them later in life and then not realizing oh my god like my dad was 23 when my sister was born at 23 I was <laughs> I don't know what I was doing but I was not having kids I was no no absolutely not I was just <laughs> hang out with my friends and like I was working actually I had a very serious life by the time but like a kid is a, it's a other words is a completely different thing right 
Yeah. Um, anything you have to say on this topic of like parents having their own issues, no access to therapy? You talked like there's a generational difference, but there's also like a class difference with your parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to say that blame, it's not what I'm, I don't want to blame my mom for anything. This is not what I want. I think everything happens inside, right? And this is what I want to fix. I want to not fix, but this is what I want to be comfortable to talk and be comfortable with myself. And uh, yeah, okay. So they made these mistakes, but they, our experiences are completely different. As you said, my mom, my mom, she, she didn't have any access to things that I have access today. If I would have a kid with my wife today, we, we're in Canada, we have access to so many different things. This wasn't my parents' case. And um, as a savior, I'm discovering myself to, around this, but it's just like I want to act on how to be better for myself. I want to work better on my boundaries, as you said. I don't want to complain. I think you can spend your whole life just blaming your parents or romantize your parents. And uh, I don't want to be one side or another side. I just want to understand because when you understand, I think you're able to make more. Uh, you can you can act better, you know, in the future. Because what is in the past is in the past. Like there's nothing you actually can do to change. You are absolutely right. So let's take a, another little break, and we'll be right back for the last section of the podcast. <laughs> Okay, so we've talked a lot about this topic, Marina, and I want to finish my podcast every week with a little section called How to Help. So if people are in the process of redefining their relationship with their parents, maybe a few tips on how to do that. So to start, let us know what has helped you redefine your relationship with your parents. Oh, this is, this is a trick question. Uh, I think... The tips that even when we are talking today, I think for me, being able to tell you that my parents aren't perfect, it's a huge step, I think was here in my throat for decades. Mm -hmm. I never, ever in my whole life thought that I would be able to say, I see my parents as they, they, they made mistakes. As humans. Yeah. I, this is huge. I don't know. For other people, if for our audience, some people, they might be, especially if they're like way younger than me. I'm 38 right now. I think a lot of things change, right? But for me, the way I was raised and a lot of like my friends in Brazil, we are not, I don't, I don't think I was allowed to criticize. I don't know if this is the perfect word, but I think if you cannot talk to someone right now, I think just write down about your feelings and like actually express the way you see things. For me, it was the most helpful thing. Yeah. As I said, I haven't get any conclusion, but I'm 
asking for help. I'm asking for your help in for in. I'm just I'm in the process. I'm working on, but it's been a big, big relief to be able to talk, open my mouth to talk about my parents. It's something that never. It's a very new thing. <laughs> I think what you're talking about, and when you were talking about just before the break about not placing blame, I think what you're trying to say is that you need, as an adult, to get closure around the fact that your parents did, for the most part, uh, the best they could, but it was not perfect. Getting closure for me is how you described it, is being able to look at it and not have anger or blame still attached to those memories. You could be right to be angry, but there's no necessarily reason to keep that anger with you for the rest of your life. We've talked in the podcast about placing boundaries, even though it's much easier said than done, and maybe getting some distance between you and your parents is a good <laughs> way to And you did, I mean, my parents are also quite far away, mm -hmm. but um, there is something powerful in getting some distance between you and your parents. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I would tell like I think it's saving my life. <laughs> Mom, I love you. Listen, I love you. <laughs> um, I think one thing we have to name, and we talked briefly about approval, but it's just accept that you are also a human and you're also not perfect. And it's to accept that you might not receive full approval from your parents for certain parts of who you are. And again, you need to get closure and, and accept that. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna, yeah, I have to work on that. Thank you so much for your tip. Makes me so emotional, actually. <laughs> Makes me very emotional. <laughs> and the last thing that I want people to remember is that you can always work on yourself, but it, you cannot work on other people if they're not ready to put in the work. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And that's, that's very difficult if somebody comes and has therapy with me to talk about their parents, you know, their parents are not in the room. And if their parents refuse to maybe go to therapy or to even, you sound like you are lucky because your mom, although not perfectly, is able to receive some of the things that you're saying. But some people, their parents are just completely close to the idea of talking about those things. And there are still ways to heal without bringing those people to therapy. But if somebody is not ready to work on their stuff, you're never going to force them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's caused me a lot of relief also, the fact that uh, my work is just with myself. I think brings me peace. Yeah. Like the realization of that brings you a lot of peace. Okay, so the job is not uh, to do the whole world or the parents or like brothers especially like when you have the younger one like my brother I think I have you know a lot of protections around and things like that but yeah for sure act this way makes me feel like light <laughs> for sure Marina thank you so much for being my guest for the first ever episode of mental health much oh my god thank you so much Vince. it was amazing thanks for having me it was such a good conversation thank you for the tips thanks for your time And I'm going to spread the word. This is amazing. Thanks for doing this hard work. We know that we don't make any money with podcasts. And I have my, my own projects as well. We know that this is a very, uh, it's our babies, right? Yeah. It, there is no money around. It's just like, uh, and your work is, 
so good. It's so brave. I'm very, very happy. Thanks, thanks for everything. It will never be my first time ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to uh, take a second to talk about that other project and promote that other project to my audience? I have my new project coming out. I would say like maybe next month. The name of my podcast is The Good Crash. And uh, I think I want to stop now. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> maybe when this is going out, it's not going to be quick enough for me to put in the description. But when it's ready, I'll promote you on my social media. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Do not hesitate to give us a rating, a comment, and to subscribe to this podcast. If you want to stay connected with me, you can follow the Mental Health Much Instagram account. Until the next episode, please keep talking about mental health to everyone as much as you can and keep safe.